0: the book of Jude thankful to continue our study in this brief but powerful book we are in that section for a reminder where Jude is um, giving us historical examples a triplet Of examples concerning the judgment of the ungodly. He's already considered the children in the wilderness that were destroyed and not allowed to enter the promised land. Last week we looked at the angels who sinned and are kept in chains in Tartarus. And this week the last of The examples that he gives in this triplet is that of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. I thought last week was going to be the hardest message. I know it was new information for many of us concerning the angels who sinned. And Jude certainly had a packed presentation for us. And this message today will also be a sensitive one. But one that I pray will bring glory to our great God and Savior, and equip us to walk in this fallen world. So again, the topic is the judgment of the ungodly, part 3. We're looking at Jude, verse 7. This concludes Jude's triplet of examples from history illustrating God's judgment on sin. Jude is making clear that the persistent ungodliness from false teachers who had crept into the church will not go unpunished. Brothers and sisters, it is indeed a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, for he is a consuming fire. But all who repent of their sins and turn to him through Christ will be plucked out of that burning judgment and find the sweetest shelter under his wings, all because of Christ. This is the general outline for today's message. One verse in three parts. Part one, a burning comparison. Part two, a burning lust. And then part three, a burning example. With that in mind, and your finger on Jude, let's read again in context from verse one through verse seven. Read with me. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who are the called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. Beloved. While I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed. Those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now I desire to remind you, though you know all things once for all, and this is the first of the three examples, that the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. Second example. And angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, He has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. And then here is the last example. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they in the same way as these indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do ask your help now as we unpack this one verse in context with the rest, Lord. Grant us tender hearts and teachable spirits that we may hear your word this morning, learn from it, and be equipped in this world that you have us in until you call us home into glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there is a war raging right now as I speak to you. Have you heard of it? Now, you may be thinking that I'm referring to Russia and Ukraine. Others may be thinking more spiritually, rightfully so, thinking of that spiritual warfare that we all engage in as believers against our flesh, against the world, and against the devil. And you're even closer. But more specifically, this war that I am referring to is a war on ethics. It is a raging revolution that is all around us and is pressing in harder and harder from what seems like all directions. Whether it's the ongoing attack on marriage, which is rightly between one man and one woman, whether it's mind games concerning gender or the despoiling of entertainment, education, curriculum, advertisements, branding, and the list goes on and on, yes, welcome to the world outside the church. And yet, it is precisely in the church that we need to be most on guard. That was Jude's reasoning in the introduction. It has been a busy week for such things. And even though the Lord's day is a day that is set apart for rest and putting off of worldly thoughts, yet the Lord has before us today a text that brings us right to a topic that I'm sure most of us, if not all of us, are exhausted from. The sexual impropriety of a fallen world. Nothing new, as we will see. May the Lord use this to sharpen us. May the Lord use this to train us for the battle that we find ourselves in every day, for his glory and our good. Amen? A well-known celebrity who claims to be a Christian recently and publicly shared his reaction to some pearls of wisdom that he received from a woman that he calls his intimacy coach. This is what he said. What she was essentially doing was cleaning out my mind letting me know it was okay to be me and be who I was. It doesn't make me a bad person because I lust. Whereas in my mind, in my Christian upbringing, even my thoughts were said to be sins. That was really the process that she worked me through, to let me realize that my thoughts were not sins, and even acting on an impure thought didn't make me a bad person. So says a professing Christian in the church. We know that statement to be patently untrue. We know what Jesus said, that you have heard it old, that you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that even a man who lusts after a woman has already committed adultery in his heart. Simon J. Kistemaker, a theologian that I profit much from, says this In a world that does not think that God cares much about sin, in a world that assumes he would never punish anyone, the book of Jude becomes essential reading. And this morning, brothers and sisters, I believe that this will be essential reading as this topic goes forth in our midst. So as you're in Jude, looking at verse 7, look with me at part 1, 7a, a burning comparison that Jude is making. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them. Now rightly, we are landing right in the middle of a thought, and that's why I read the beginning context to give us uh, some understanding. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah. Just as means that this marks a close connection with the preceding illustration. Remember, what was the preceding illustration that Jude gave? It was that of the angels that sinned. I will remind you. And angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of that great day. And then he says, just as. Sodom and Gomorrah. So there is an intimate connection between what the angels did in verse 6 and this example now that he's giving in Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them. Just to jog your memory, what did the angels do? The angels committed sin and went after strange flesh. The very thing that is said of those in Sodom and Gomorrah. It is not a one-to-one comparison because we unpacked In our last message, the idea of the angels abandoning their vocation, their ministry, and also putting off their proper abode. We discussed the mystery, really, that is in that metaphysical statement, how it could be that the angels could lust after the daughters of men and even bring about children from them. We did not even begin to plumb the depths of how that could be possible, for some things in Scripture are left a mystery to us. But we do recognize that that was the universal statement of the early church. And now, to make the, to make the illustration of the angels even more vivid, he is now bringing in his third example of Sodom and Gomorrah, which indeed deals with human flesh. And he says, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them. But what are these cities around them? Well, Sodom and Gomorrah are the names that we all know well from our uh, Old Testament readings. But you may be interested to find out that was really a pentopolis of cities in that valley: Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma and Zeboim and Zoar. You can read about those in Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 23, Hosea chapter 11, verse eight. And also Genesis chapter 19, 20 through 22. We'll get to that. But these cities are often referred to as the five cities of the plain. If I were to ask you the question, when God rained down fire and brimstone out of heaven, what cities were destroyed? And again, we would rightly answer, well, Sodom and Gomorrah. But it wasn't just Sodom and Gomorrah. As Jude brings to our attention, it was Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them. The valley of Sidim near the Dead Sea were the dwelling places of these cities. And all were swept away in this judgment, save one, which we will read about. We're going to be looking at two passages of scripture this morning which I'm going to give lengthy readings for because I think it will be good for the Lord to do the heavy lifting as it concerns introducing these ideas. One of them is from the book of Genesis. Later one will be from the book of Romans. So if you're able turn to Genesis chapter 19 and let us let the Lord lead us through this narrative to remind us of what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them. Genesis chapter 19. I'm going to be reading from verse 1. Interestingly enough, this has angels in the context as well. But these are not the angels from Genesis 6 from last time. These are not the angels, interestingly enough, from verse 6 of Jude. These are angels that came to Abraham to sup with him. And I believe one of those angels... One of those messengers, if you remember the technical term angelos, which means messenger, one of those messengers was the Lord himself, who stayed behind while these other two angels went to Sodom and Gomorrah. And this is where the story in Genesis 19 picks up. These two angels who left Abraham and our Lord to go to that dreadful city. Verse 1. Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening as Lot, that was Abraham's nephew, was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground and said, Now behold, my lords, please turn aside into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go on your way. They said, however, No, but we shall spend the night in the square. Yet he urged them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he prepared a feast for them, and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. We'll pause right there. Remember our time in Genesis 6 and our study on angelology, how we said, yes, angels are spirits, but they can interact with physical matter? Well, here we have angels eating with Lot, feasting with him. Before they lay down, the men of the city, The men of Sodom surrounded the house, both young and old, all the people from every quarter. And they called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? The people of Sodom think that these visitors are just men. Little do they know that they are angels. Bring them out to us that we may have relations with them. But Lot went out to them at the doorway and shut the door behind him and said, Please, my brothers, do not act wickedly. Now behold, I have two daughters who have not had relations with man. Please let me bring them out to you and do to them whatever you like. Only do nothing to these men inasmuch as they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, Stand aside. Furthermore, they said, This one came in as an alien, and already he is acting like a judge. Now we will treat you worse than them. So they pressed hard against Lot and came near to break the door. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. They struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness both small and great so that they were weary so that they wearied themselves trying to find the door Quick pause for some commentary I heard it once from another theologian and it always stuck with me Think of the depravity and the depth of the despicable actions of these townsmen who surrounded the house of Lot They had come there to do unspeakable things. And the Lord struck them blind. Now think about a crowd around a house that were all struck blind. What would you expect the first reaction to be? Maybe one to shout. Maybe another to scream out, I can't see. Maybe a third to say, I can't see either until all of them realized that something supernatural had happened. And they would be stopped in their tracks and realize that judgment had come upon them, for this supernatural act was unavoidable. They were all struck blind. But here is the depravity of sin, brothers and sisters. Even after they were struck blind, they wearied themselves to continue to try and find that doorway. They were not stopped in their evil. And so it is in the world around us when those who are engaged in such evil and wickedness, when judgment comes upon them, they do not see clearly, but continue to weary themselves in their endeavors. Verse 12. Then the two men said to Lot, Whom else have you here? a son-in-law and your sons and your daughters and whoever you have in the city, bring them out of the place, for we are about to destroy this place because their outcry has become so great before the Lord that the Lord has sent us to destroy it. Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-laws who were to marry his daughters and said, Up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy the city." These are the would-be husbands of the daughters that Lot just offered to the gang. But he appeared to his sons-in-laws to be jesting. Now when morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he hesitated. So the men seized his hand, and the hand of his wife, and the hands of his two daughters, For the compassion of Yahweh was upon him. Remember that. And they brought him out and put him outside the city. When they had brought them outside, one said, Escape for your life! Do not look behind you, and do not stay anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains, or you will be swept away. But Lot said to them, Oh, no, my lords, now behold, your servant has found favor in your sight. And you have magnified your loving kindness which you have shown me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains, for the disaster will overtake me and I will die. Now behold, this town is near enough to flee to, and it is small. Please let me escape there. Is it not small that my life may be saved? Sounds like the bargaining that Abraham was doing previously with the Lord concerning Sodom in the first place. Behold, I grant you this request also, not to overthrow the town of which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you have arrived there. Therefore, the name of that town was called Zoar. Verse 23, which is what I think Jude is specifically pointing to. The sun had risen over the earth when Lot came to Zoar, then Yahweh rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, brimstone and fire from Yahweh out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities, and all the valley, and all the inhabitants of the cities, and what grew on the ground. This is the narrative. This is the lesson. Both Peter and Jude find this to be a fitting warning against licentiousness in the church, and it is no wonder why that is. Remember, Jude is reminding us of false teachers who had crept into the church and were, quote, ungodly persons who turned the grace of our God into licentiousness. Verse 4. And these are not they that went out, as John said in his epistle. They went out from us to show they were never truly of us. But rather, these were false teachers who were still in the church. They have crept in unnoticed, Jude said. This is a warning to those in the church. What a burning example to give concerning these false teachers who were also burning in lust who were also seemingly getting away with it. Jude is saying, not so. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah were given over to a burning lust. And that's our next section, part B of verse 7, a burning lust. Since they, in the same way as these, indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh, since they, in the same way as these, refers to they, are those cities, Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them. And these refers back to the angels of verse 6. Since they, the five cities in that Pentapolis, in the same way as these, those angels back in Genesis 6, indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh. Both groups, the angels, And those in that valley were guilty of lusting after forbidden things. Listen to Matthew Poole. He means male flesh, which is other than what God appointed for that use they made of it. Or, as we render it, strange flesh, that which is strange, improper, and unfit for such an end. It is the description of the unnatural filthiness of the sodomites you may have heard that term sodomites it comes naturally from sodom but naturally is one thing that the sodomites didn't do just like the angels they abandoned their calling the angels had a ministry remember angels were created to be ministers of yahweh ministers of the lord and they abandoned that calling they abandoned that ministry and they left their proper abode the natural order They sinned against nature. Likewise, the men in Sodom had a calling. Being made in the image of God, sons of Adam, they abandoned it. And they also took off their natural calling as a man to a woman and rather lusted after strange flesh, male flesh as Matthew Poole tells us indulged in gross immorality. Both groups, the angels and the sodomites, defied their design and their nature. The angels defied their calling in nature with fornication. The sodomites defiled their calling in nature with the sin of homosexuality. Since they indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire in a way similar to these angels, listen to the NET translation, how it translates verse 6. Angels is not in the Greek text, but the masculine demonstrative pronoun most likely refers back to the angels of verse 6. And so the NET has this as a translation. Both angels... And Sodom and Gomorrah indulge in a heinous sexual immorality. Thus, whether the false teachers indulge in homosexual activity is not the point. Mere sexual immorality is enough to condemn them. This was a warning that needed to be heard in the early church. And it's a warning that needs to be heard in the church in the year 2022. They went after strange flesh, not other of the same kind, but other flesh, that which is contrary to the light of nature, that which is against the design of our Creator. Again, this points back to the angels in verse 6, who did not keep their ministry, but abandoned their abode. They abandoned their role, and they abandoned their design, their nature. And here brings us to the second passage that I want to read in some length. And it is Romans 1. If you're able, please turn to Romans 1. We look back in Genesis at this event in Sodom and Gomorrah. And we say that was a strange occurrence that God was actually pouring out his wrath Before the time had come at the return of Christ when all sin will be judged. But I want you to listen to Romans 1. The story of Sodom and Gomorrah was distant past for the Apostle Paul. And it's even further in the distance from us today. But the same truths apply Look at verse 18 in Romans chapter 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. This is a wrath that is being poured forth now. It's an act of pouring forth of wrath. I remember being in a church when I was younger in the faith and someone said the quote, I think they didn't come up with it, it's been said many times before, if God doesn't judge our culture soon, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, brothers and sisters, are you waiting to see what that judgment looks like on our culture? I pray you're not, because it's all around us. The wrath of God is presently being poured out, It's revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, verse 19, because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made. So they are without excuse. Every human being is an image bearer made in God's image. They have his law written upon their hearts, and they know what is wrong. God has made it evident to every image bearer. Verse 21 says exactly that. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Oh, how that rings true in our culture. And exchange the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures and other words, brothers and sisters, idolatry. Idolatry. Therefore God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who was blessed and forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also the men abandoned their natural function of the woman and burned in their desire towards one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error, sodomites. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, they know it because it's on their heart that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Is the Apostle Paul giving a prophecy? No. These things were common in his day, just as they're common in our day. The depravity of man is nothing new. This is the third instance of God's vengeance on sinners in the book of Jude in which like that of the Israelites and of the angels was after great favors had been enjoyed. Think about this. The greater the sin usually means the uh, the greater the sin usually comes after the greater of blessings. It's only because because God gives us so much that we can subvert it and twist it to such an evil design. Listen to what John Gill says about the advantages that Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around it had. Number one, they were places delightfully situated. They were beautiful. In fact, this is the reason why Lot chose to go there in the first place. This is a beautiful land. It's very fruitful as the Garden of God, the Scriptures say. The Garden of Eden. If you were to look at Sodom and Gomorrah and say, what does that remind you of? It seems like someone who knew the Scriptures could say, well, that looks like Eden. What an advantage. They were under a form of government. They had kings over them. That's a blessing. And had lately been under the influence of Lot a godly man and they had Abraham praying for them before the angels even went to them again they had Lot the righteous Lot among them who was a reprover in the gate and Abraham made made intercession for them these are some of the advantages that John Gill points out that Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities had As we look at our culture and its decay, I pray that we can see that it's only decaying to such a rate because of the tremendous blessings that we have had. But as Paul says in Romans 1, the wrath of God is, present tense, being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. God does not have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Judgment is being poured forth even this day. So, what do we do with this? There is a spiritual connection we must recognize to physical corruption of the body. The things that happen in the lusts of our world have a spiritual cause. Did you notice how many times in Romans 1 it says, Therefore, God gave them over? They were given over to a debased mind to impure thoughts because they did not seek to acknowledge God any longer in their thinking what does it look like when a culture closes its eyes to nature and closes its eyes to God it's horrendous there is a spiritual connection just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer God gave them over to a depraved mind, to do those things which are not proper. So one of the applications is, brothers and sisters, do not close God out of your thinking. Do not keep your Bible closed, but keep it open. Pray. Seek the things that are God's, that belong to his people, because there is a spiritual connection to the debased mind that burns with lust after strange flesh. As described, this corruption often follows great favors enjoyed from the hand of God. Give a prayer of thanksgiving for the many blessings that we even have this day. Do not close your heart or your eyes to our cup that overflows even now. One theologian rightly said, this sin is a work of the flesh, contrary to the law of God. It's against the body and attended with many evils, exposed to judgment here and hereafter. Again, just as there are temporal consequences that come with having a debased mind, giving over to fighting against nature, it doesn't stop People who do not have the Lord as their Savior, who have not been given new hearts, they continue to run harder in that same direction, just as those in Sodom continued to grope for the door after they were struck blind. And this kind of action is unfit for the communion of the saints and unfit for the kingdom of heaven. So what's the extended application then that we make to these very weighty and heartbreaking concepts? Well, first and foremost, we learn to live godly lives unto the Lord. The apostle John taught us in his epistle, remember from 1 John, everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself, just as he is pure. There is a desire on the part of God's people because they have been given hearts of flesh to seek the things of the Lord, to purify themselves, to seek to live godly lives. But if someone is enslaved to the sins of the sexual revolution that is pressing in on every corner, even the sin of homosexuality, listen to the apostolic warning from 1 Corinthians. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, you might say, I'm not a person in that list. Really? Are you an idolater? Have you ever made idols in your heart? Again, these sins are not uncommon. They are common to all. But notice the practice of homosexuality is specifically pointed out by the Apostle Paul. And it's a grave warning. It's not fit for the church, and it's not fit for the kingdom of heaven. But what might be the most important verse for anyone who is struggling with these things is what Paul says next. And such were some of you. You might identify yourself with the previous list in several places. There may be even those who read the apostles' warning and say, I have committed this heinous sin. And I am not fit for the church. I am not fit for heaven. Listen to Paul's words. And such were some of you. The Lord changes the heart. The Lord restores the soul. The Lord takes you out of the covenant of works and puts you into the covenant of grace where you no longer represent yourself and all your sins are not accredited to your account, but Jesus' righteous account is accredited to you. And when you stand before the Father, whether you've committed one of those sins or all of them, you are washed. You have been cleaned. You are justified. By the righteous blood of Christ. And such were some of you. People can change in all manners of life. But only if they're washed. Only if they're sanctified. Only if they're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of the living God. If it's not that way, it's a band-aid. If it's not that way, they will still have to answer for their sins on Judgment Day. This is the true conversion. This is the new life. This is the restoration. This is salvation found in Christ alone. Amen? But second, as believers, we learn to take comfort. If that wasn't comfort enough, how do we take comfort from the story of Sodom and Gomorrah? How could we ever take comfort in a narrative like that? Let me illustrate it with you with a searching question that I think has peculiar relevance to us living in this state, at this time, in this culture. Was Lot right for staying in Sodom as long as he did? That's the searching question. Many have asked similar questions and are asking questions now. Am I doing the right thing, living where I am living? If you looked at our country and said, what nation or what city most signifies and exemplifies Sodom and Gomorrah? There is one city that is not too far from us that is called the city of Sin. Now that we've talked about it, it wasn't just Sodom and Gomorrah that were destroyed, but the surrounding cities. We might look at our proximity to the city of sin and say, is it sinful for me to even live here? But here is the truth of this matter. This is not an objective question, but a subjective one. And we don't like that, because we like when things are black and white and clear. And for some, this question might be black and white. It may be clear. But for others, it's extremely difficult to discern. I know you're all saying amen. But one thing that both groups must do is this. Pray. James 1.5, the brother of Jude. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to you. Christian liberty, the freedom to stay or to go. And God's providence must be rightly understood and balanced in our minds if we are to think clearly about this issue. So I ask you again, was it right for Lot to stay in Sodom as long as he did? Was it right for him to be there in the first place? Was he sinning? Here's the answer. Lot knows better than us how to answer that question. And what's more, God's plan in hindsight is perfect. And here is where the comfort is. In the most unlikely of places, in the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Listen to what the Apostle Peter wrote about God's mercy, love, and protection of Lot even while living in Sodom. 2 Peter chapter 2, we've flipped back there many times as a parallel reference. And if he rescued righteous Lot oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men. For by what he saw and heard, that righteous man while living among them felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by the lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation. That is hope for all of us, brothers and sisters, who are wrestling with such questions, who are living in a land that has been given over to the wrath of God in some varying degree as we await that day of eternal fire when our Lord returns and casts sin itself into the lake of fire. In conclusion, the Lord God Almighty is guarding now the purity of His bride the church. He's adorning her with developed doctrine through the age. He is guarding her by the deposit of truth, the Holy Scriptures, through the Holy Spirit. He has set watchmen over his flock to protect her as well. He has given us all as children the same Holy Spirit to speak the truth in love, and to walk in a way that is worthy of our calling in the church and outside the church to this world that is perishing. And he is guarding the church from false sons and daughters in her pale, even false teachers who are among us today. And he has reserved a greater judgment for those teachers who have crept in unnoticed, who are attempting to lead many astray. Thomas Brooks, a famous Puritan, said this, Israel's going into Egypt had no opposition. When Israel was going into Egypt, which is what symbolized slavery, when Israel, which symbolizes the people of God, was going into slavery, there was no opposition. But traveling into Canaan, they were never free. Canaan being a picture of heaven... Us being the travelers, the church on our way to that celestial city are greeted by many, many challenges in the church and outside the church as if we might feel we are never free as Thomas Brooks says in in contrast to the Israelites going into Egypt. But if you belong to Christ, praises to him who called you out of darkness into the wonderful light of His Son. In Him, there is hope. In Christ, there is restoration. In Christ, there is victory. In Christ, there is love. In Christ, there is freedom. True freedom. In Christ, there is forgiveness. Let's pray. Father in Heaven, we thank You for this message. We thank You for giving us in your word the tools that we need to live godly lives and to be equipped to live godly lives in a culture, whether blossoming or decaying. Lord, how we recognize that each and every one of us are in the place that you have ordained us to be in the moment that you have ordained us to be. Lord, let us rest in your sovereignty over all things. And yet, Lord, we ask for wisdom in all things, concerning life and godliness. Lord, a message like this reminds us how weak we are and how much we need you. May those who've heard this message this morning meditate on it and meditate on the goodness that is found in your Son alone, that transforming goodness of Jesus Christ who can change even the most vilest sinner into a pure, spotless saint, wearing the righteousness, not of his own, but of Christ, the seamless robe of righteousness found only in your begotten Son. Thank you for giving to him, giving him to us, and thank you for giving us to him as a gift. May we walk this day worthy of our calling. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.